What is up, everyone? Before we get into this episode, I just want to thank our sponsors, the African Students Association from the University of Notre Dame, for sponsoring us. And let's hear a bit more about what they have to say about their Pan African Youth Conference, which will be happening in March. Kwame Nkrumah, Julius Nyedere, Nelson Mandela, Patrice Lumumba. The historic mission of that first generation of African leaders was to liberate Africa from the throngs of colonialism and imperial domination. Thomas Sankara, Yoweri Museveni, Jerry Rawlings. The historic mission of the second generation of African leaders was to consolidate the gains from independence and to set Africa on the path to socio-economic transformation. As the current generation of young Africans, we too are faced with an important task of first, discovering what our historic mission is as a generation, and secondly, deciding whether to fulfill or betray that mission. Thus, the African Students Association of the University of Notre Dame will host a virtual edition of the Pan-African Youth Conference, which will bring together a Pan-African network of university students from Africa and across the world. Participants at the conference will grapple with four critical questions that are pertinent to our understanding of our historic mission as a generation. One, who are we as Africans? Where are we as a continent? How did we get here? And most importantly, where and how do we go from here? The conference will feature a keynote address from one of contemporary Africa's foremost thought leaders, Professor Achille Mbembe from the University of Cape Town. We invite you to be part of a Pan-African network of young Africans seeking to discover the historic mission of our generation and to fulfill it. Africa needs you. Will you answer the call? To register for this event, Follow the link in my bio, on my Instagram, or my TikTok. Let's get right into the episode. What is up, everyone? My name is Adnan Shafi, and welcome again to Pariah Nation. Today, we're going to be talking about a very, very important topic, and we have a range of guests today. We have a bit of a panel going on, and we'll be discussing colonial beauty standards, and we'll be discussing colorism. And I feel like this is something that I haven't heard being talked about as much, even though it is much, very much a continental problem on the African continent and also in the diaspora. So I'm going to introduce our guests without further ado. Uh, but for our guests, just tell us a bit more about who you are, where you come from, uh, and a bit more about yourself. And we'll start off with Ashley. Hi, I'm Ashley Torknew. I go by Selassie on most of my social media handles, so Selassie.at. Um, I am born in the U.S. on the East Coast of Maryland. Um, I am of Ghanaian descent, so both of my parents immigrated here, first generation. Um, my exact tribe is Ewe, if that matters. Um, and yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. Wonderful to have you here, Ashley. Let's hear from Hidayah now. Hi everybody. Um, so my name is Hidaya and um, basically I'm Somali, but my dad's side lives in Diridoa. Um, so um, it's in Ethiopia. And then my mom's side immigrated from Somalia to Tanzania, but borderline Kenya. So she would go to school in Kenya. And um, so I grew up and yeah, I went to a little Dakan Island. So I lived in Kenya for a little bit and then Ethiopia for a little bit half half so I feel like I have a lot of experiences from the horn you know all together so 
um i've definitely have some interesting things to say about the topic yeah thank you so much i tried to get people mainly from west africa and east africa although colorism is definitely an issue all around the continent trying to make it as diverse as possible but yeah let's hear from joshua as well okay um hi guys um joshua unima um the official josh on that scores replace all the places <laughs> all the species in my username on social media platform and then i'm ghanian by birth and my parents are nigerian and i live in nigeria right now i moved to nigeria when i was like 12 years and i have this vowel interference that is so bad when i pronounce some words so i'm going to manage that throughout the podcast <laughs> and then I schooled in Ghana. I've traveled to China, UK for like a month school trip and other things like that. So, and then I'm so black. So I think it's going to be very interesting, this particular topic. <laughs> so thank you. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I think it's it's important. I mean, most of us, I think, here are dark-skinned or we'd classify as dark-skinned, or at least we're somewhere on the middle of the scale we're thinking about like you know colorism so i'd say we're all affected by colorism in some capacity on this stage uh and yeah let's finish off with princess hi everyone uh my name is princess uh i go by uh i i have like different like handles so we're not even gonna get into that um i'm nigerian i'm yoruba um and i like was born in Nigeria, but then moved to the U.S. Then we went back to um, to Nigeria. But while living in the U.S., um, half of my family is white. So I I really I like to make this joke about how like I really know how white people think. Um, and then whilst living in the U.S., like we traveled a lot because we have a lot of relatives that live in other parts of Europe. And so I like have really come to understand how like the the like the mindset goes from Nigeria into like the diaspora and how it just becomes like a fun little mix fun um but yeah I'm really glad to be on this panel and thank you for like having us yeah thank you guys that's gonna be our panel for today and we might as well get straight into the topic of colorism obviously you know, we're talk, uh, for those who don't know what colorism is, I mean, we're going to define it in uh, in relation to systemic power. So we're not just saying that, oh, colorism is treating someone differently based on their skin tone. I, I'm a firm believer that reverse colorism doesn't exist, and we're going to address that later on in the podcast, because obviously colorism, because it is what I call the cousin or the, the birth child of racism, it is going to inherit certain systemic characteristics that racism has and we've clearly seen this in the way of obviously in media we've seen it in books we've seen it in all these different places even in terms of court cases hearings all these different things so i mean if we want to go back to the roots let's go back to the roots i'm going to just chime in and say <clears throat> i think that colorism has been there before like in terms of you know it's not necessarily something that um started with colonialism and slavery but if we're talking about popularization of colorism as a whole we can definitely argue that slavery and colonialism played into that 
if you want to cite evidences, one of the first things that you can actually look towards is the fancy made in trade. And I'm pretty sure that some people obviously have different examples that uh, you want to give, right? But the fancy made in trade was essentially a specialized trade within the slave trade that was trading light-skinned women. And if you were to convert some of that money to what we're talking about today, it's like, you know, $50,000 compared to selling a slave for uh, $20,000 or even like cheaper $10,000, right? It's very crude in terms, but obviously people saw light-skinned women as predominantly sex slaves or something that, you know, you can look at, something to marvel at. It was really, really disgusting as a trade in general, but it also gave this people this idea of looking for, in quotes, exotic women. And I really, I hate that term exotic because it definitely has those connotations. It's like you're some animalistic breed and gives me those slavery vibes. But even you have to realize that from slavery, this you can basically draw a straight line from slavery to colonialism. And one of the main things that was underpinning colonialism was this theory of race. And that came with colorism. And that's definitely how we can see that it's manifesting even till today. So when people mention that slavery is over, its effects are definitely far from it. But I want to hear from anyone else, like, you know, what, what are the sources of colorism, do you think? So just to like tap into the exotic thing that you just said, it, the word exotic has become so much a part of like casual racism. I uh, was called exotic literally like not even two weeks ago. I was standing outside, like obviously it's cold in Canada, but I really like cold weather. So I'm wearing shorts, I'm standing outside. And my landlord and her friends are walking by and they're like, wow, you know, she's an exotic girl. That's why she feels so like comfortable, like having her legs out. And I was like, ha! I was like, I literally was like, you people not kill me. Because <laughs> like, you know, I wanted to like call them racist and like <laughs> start throwing hands. But then I was just like, you know what? I live here. I'm not really trying to get into it. So I was just like, mm-hmm. okay, well done. Um, and it's so crazy how just to like, obviously like I'm not light skinned, but it was, it was really bizarre how this, like that term has become something that is labeled on like light skinned folks or anyone who seems like other, like it, it's sort of like saying like, you're so beautiful for being the other. So then it's like, that means that the quote unquote other, so black folks are ugly. Like that's, that's like kind of what it, at least that's what it seems like to me. Yeah, I definitely would have to agree with you there. Basically what that reminded me of was um, growing up, I've heard that term multiple times, but you know, as a child growing up, you know, it gassed me. I was thinking, okay, you know, I'm excited, you know, but I didn't know that it's like, like it's not a compliment so it took me a while to realize like to distinguish like when someone's being genuine and when someone's just being it's just casual racism but growing up it made me feel like I was different than like I had a few where where I'm from I have a few black people not too many it's mostly the they it's mostly a lot of east and south asian people here so I was like one of the what five people at my school like that black so I thought it separated me from them. So, you know, it was like that inner coon. Like, I really don't know. So what growing up, I thought because of my hair, because of my nose, like just and I'm not light skinned. So I thought, OK, maybe I'm not light skinned, but at least I have these features. Right. So that's like that's the way I was brought up. Right. 
and it, it took me till high school to realize that that's not okay you know I had to do a lot of self-reflection and I had to do a lot of evaluation like why am I thinking these things like when I look at someone else who has uh, more African features like I shouldn't say like you know I'm better than this so it's that superiority that was fed to me by my own community so going back home too we would have um you know we have slurs to call people who look more African and I think that's just wrong like it wasn't really really brought to my attention that that's a slur that's not okay to call somebody you know um like Jared or things like that that are like used a lot now and like it's that inner superiority that they need to like look in the mirror and realize that like we're all African and it shouldn't really matter and I guess to close it off uh what I would say is um a lot of it is bad um you can say like okay you're being racist but a lot of it is like a lot of self-reflection you have to reflect yourself like to realize that this isn't okay and you have to teach like the younger generation like it's not okay because growing up it's really hard um to distinguish like what's you know i don't know does that make sense (laughs) like I wanted to add something onto that. Uh, and I know, Ashley, I think you wanted to speak. So don't worry, I, I've seen you, I've seen you, I've seen you. Uh, I think um, we've sort of hit a crossroads that I feel is really important because people try and use this angle to try and, in quotes, debunk colorism. So um, <clears throat> essentially what they tried to say is that, you know, if colorism is real, then why are white girls tanning themselves? Or like, why is it a trend to in quotes blackfish, right? So, I mean, look at it from this perspective. We already know that because of colonial beauty standards, we've put things like narrower noses, straight hair, we've put them on a pedestal. And now in the midst of all of that, right, you have this in quotes exotic super breed of light-skinned women, but maybe according to, I mean, this is, as, as I said, it's, it's functioning on a subconscious paradigm, right? So people aren't actually thinking this, I mean, I hope not overtly, but some people definitely have these subconscious thoughts going in their minds. But when you've been bombarded with media that's bashing people with widened noses, right? You might see a light-skinned girl and be like, ah, but still she has a, a bit of, in quotes, Negro in her, right? It's like, this is how people process it when you've been brought up in a colorist society. So when you have a white girl that wants to tan, you can tell it's because, for example, people prefer, in quotes, this, this you know, Eurocentric super breed of a light-skinned woman with European features. And it's quite sick, actually, because not only is, I mean, look, look if you look at where these trends are actually coming from, it's from places like the fashion industry and the industry of film. So I just wanted to, like, sort of add that. It's like, it they function together. Featureism and colorism are our best friends. They sort of function on that same level. Yeah, to kind of hop on that point, one of the things that really doesn't me when it comes to white women who tan is the fact that tanning has been popularized in their community because of the exotic fetish. For and, and like we said, that's not a positive thing. It's very like a backhanded compliment, like you're pretty for a black girl or like, oh, why are they, like I've gotten that a lot. And I'm not 
like I look light skinned, but I'm not considered light skinned by American standards. And yet people ask me, oh, like, what are you mixed with? Or they wouldn't believe that I'm African or like I have to be like an island girl or something, you know? And I feel like white women want to kind of participate in that idea of being like fetishized, which is disgusting and weird. But um, I feel like that's why it's such a trend for them to tan or like they want to wear braids or get like fuller lips and really align themselves with that light skin beauty standard. Uh, okay, so um, from my end, I'll tell you, I'll turn off, I'll put this to you guys, but then I'm in Africa, and then we already used to this system where we have these some soaps that are bleaching soaps, and there's already this stereotype, if you're bleaching, there's a stereotype to it, and then if you are too dark, like what, I mean on the podcast, I use this statement that I am too black, it sounded funny when I said it, but then I've been this victim of nicknames like Black Panther, Dark Knight, um, Chaco, and some other. It sounds funny when you hear them because I laugh at it most of the time because in Africa we use this insulting words most times to address ourselves. But then most of the insults I get or the roasting I get, most of them are usually because I'm dark and then too dark. And then when I was in Ghana, I moved because in Ghana I was like normal. When I moved to Nigeria, most people are like basically like more their skin tone. Are more brighter than mine then um then i said more brighter are brighter than mine then so they didn't give me this um word like dark night i asked her, like the names are so forceful then my parents would be like um you are too dark sizing bleaching cream sizing some soaps that will make your skin tone brighter my mom even had to take me to um the store to get um soaps to get my skin why because she saw the way people are saying those hurtful words at me and then it's not something that can be helped kind of because the bullying was, was that bad. So I started using some of this stuff just to fit in kind of with the system. And I, th- I feel that the scholarship resists, I would say yes, because it's that bad. I can even like show you a lot of videos where people get insulted for, you are too black, look at this black cockroach, look at this black this. And the person insulting them is just light-skinned. I'm not even light-skinned, light-skinned. It's just like this light skin that you can say is appreciated for her beauty standards or something like that. So she just feels that because I'm beautiful and I'm not, as black as you are, then you are like this charcoal, you are like this dark person, kind of. Or you are darkness. I think I was once called, I was once called darker than darkness, kind of. It was funny when they said it, but then it was so hurtful. It was so hurtful. Like, I think that's it. So, like, what Joshua just said is actually so, un- like, unfortunately, it's actually so common in the Nigerian community, um, not just in Nigeria, like they bring this stuff here too. And I, and it's unfortunately just very normal. Like, so for example, I was talking to my uncle the other day and my uncle, um, he's like very, very dark skin. And so I was telling him, oh, I'm thinking about getting a tattoo, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, yeah, like you'll be able to see the tattoo on you. You're not like black like me. And I was like, I mean, there's there's different color inks for different color skin but but it is it is so very much like ingrained in Nigerian society like I can't begin to tell you how many times growing up people would tell me that I was as pretty as my mother but the only thing was I was not as light-skinned as her and so my mother and oh my god I can tell you stories for days like so my mother's a twin right and um 
she was like she's the lightest skinned one like literally on some like snow white fairest of them all type of shit. and she's like the lightest um one in her like out of all of her siblings and she has a twin sister who's darker than her and when i just think about like the educational opportunities that like my my like mother was able to get just because of the fact that she was light-skinned is like absolutely insane and just to quickly go back to like how white girls love tanning so my two older sisters are white women and something that I think is particularly interesting is I once brought up how tanning is something that like white girls do to make themselves kind of look like us without being like us and it's so interesting how immediately the comeback was no getting tanner makes you look like you enjoy like some sort of like Saint-Tropez like lifestyle like you live a life of like ease and luxury and I was like if you don't get that <laughs> it was, it's like it's such a load of shit. and like there are actually there's literally like this is gonna sound weird but I think that like white supremacy has such an amazing PR PR team in that sense because there are literally articles that you can actually look and find and they'll give you they will feed you this bullshit that getting tan is not is rooted in having a vacation kind of lifestyle so i'm thinking to myself like if you're tan and you're having a vacation what the am i like i'm i must be i must be a queen at that point like what but yes it is <laughs> oh god yo no, I actually relate to what you're saying because you no, know, there's actually a day I literally sat down and I thought about this. I was like, yo, when the people were sitting down to come up with like, you know, how are we going to justify slavery? It's like, damn, these people were smart because get this, get this, right? While, while people are trying to focus on actually dismantling this whole system of white supremacy, they've actually gotten the black community and other communities to literally fight amongst themselves and like, if you want to start like, you know, actually listing, uh, you know, you know, all this propaganda that we're hearing uh, about, you know, colorism, all these different things, we can even look at some stats. Um, I actually just want to thank the person that sent me these stats. And then her name is Samaya Robinson, honestly, one of the best black scholars that I know, a great person to be around and learn from. So go check her out at Samaya27 on TikTok, but she does a lot of interesting stuff in terms of critical race theory as well. So she actually mentions in one of her slides that uh, she said so WHO uh, study, and this was in 2011, I know, but it, we can still see that it's a big issue in the African continent. And it says that 40% of African women bleach their skin. And I mean, for me, even that's just, that's like shocking. It's like, yeah, it's a minority, but like, you know, that's a considerable, I would call it a sizable minority. And again, this is the whole, this, this whole picture of, you know, um, like, you know, darker skinned people sort of being less desirable, it causes people to hate themselves. And so like, even when we're talking about, oh yeah, you know, the black woman is the most oppressed person in society. Now within that group, there's a darker skinned black, like how many less of oppression can you peel back? It's like, you know, this is the question that you start to ask. And even I was just thinking about this, it's like, um, we, we succumb to this even during the civil rights movement. Like Rosa Parks was not the first person to sit on a bus. And uh, I mean, this is something, I mean, we need to talk about it. I think someone even told, uh, like, told me that they had gotten the chance to meet someone from the movement and ask them like, you know, why was this the case? Why were you constantly putting people who are lighter skinned 
at the front. I mean, what do you guys think about that? Um, oh, you can go first. Uh, oh, no, it's okay. Uh, sorry. It's just um, really quickly, I just wanted to say, um, so I actually thought that my mind was blown, like, because growing up in an American, you know, school system, like the public school system, we're barely taught anything. It's like the one chapter and the teacher just skims through it real quickly. The civil rights, everything is in black and white. Mind you, they had colored pictures back then. So me thinking that was hella long ago. And then I have classmates who, you know, they don't really care enough to learn about anything. They don't really take anything seriously. And like, you know, a teacher who's getting like paid like pennies to teach something that they don't also care about. So it's just that environment growing up. It's just really weird when you know, now I'm in college, right, and I have to learn these things for myself, and I ask myself, why is my own history an elective, but white history just, like, the main, you know, class, like, the amount of white guys that I had to learn about that I don't care, sorry, I don't, but it's just because it, they didn't really contribute that much, like, there's a lot of more, like, people of color that contributed way more, and we don't hear about them, and I have to learn this in an ethnic studies course in college like that's insane and to piggyback on what you said about light skin like I said I lived in Africa and yes yours truly was a former light skin they had done handed me the soap me thinking it was dove with my I was seven years old me thinking it was dove I, my mom came back to pick me up said whose child is this she turned around left right whose child is not mine that's not my child my dad at the time, my, mo I, my mom was in Kenya because she was having my sister. And the reason why I ended up going to Ethiopia is because, you know, I was like a little bad kid and she couldn't handle me. So she sent me to my dad's side. So my dad's side in Ethiopia, that city is mostly Oromo and Somali people. So Somali people, that's a Somali city, you know, Somali culture. We've been there for generations. So our culture you know like everybody there they thought that was okay my aunts did that thinking they're doing me a favor there was no hate you know like they're not doing that to hate on me they were they thought they're doing me a favor they're like she has the hair she has the features you know she's almost ready she just needs you know and I couldn't believe it until I saw the pictures I was like this is I call it white Hedaya because that's not me literally that's not me at all and so Looking back at that, I noticed my aunts all do it. And I looked through all these photographs. I'm like, bro, my aunts were dark skin. They weren't even light skin. And it's acceptable in this behavior, in this culture. And I just can't believe it. So like I said, the city is like um, mixed. So when I look at music videos that are Somali, the music videos, it's everywhere. Like they're light skin. And it's not even funny, like normal light skin. It's like to the point where are you albino like it's really it's a really like it doesn't match and their makeup is like flower like they use flower for their makeup i'm telling you it's not even foundation at this point and i do not mean to like hate on them but like and i want i asked my aunt like why can't you just like rub the skin that you're in how are you gonna find a husband you know how are you gonna da -da -da? no man no man is gonna want you da -da -da. And then I had to have that talk with my mom, you know, like if I go to so in marriage Somali family, they're not going to like me because I'm dark skin, right? Or something like that. Then I said, okay, I'll go somewhere else, you know, as long as they're on their deen, as long as they're Muslim. My mom's like, do you want to be the black person in the family? You know, they don't want black people. They don't, the mom is going to break down and cry. Have you seen, have you seen them? They don't. So me being eight and nine, having all these thoughts in my head growing up, it was 
intense i went around thinking nobody wants me everyone thinks i'm a thug gangster criminal you know da, da, da. so like it was so hard growing up like i just kept my head down and i had zero self-confidence to this day i'm trying to like bring everything back and that's why it's a lot of self-reflection you know so like it's not just colorism it's not just it's embedded in everything it's everywhere it's like you can't even breathe like i go on this app every day and i ask myself will i be able to breathe can i have dark skin black women breathe no i go on social media people bring us up for clout people just bring us up just to bring us up like when are they going to leave black women alone specifically dark skin women i ask myself that every single day never got the answer yeah i feel like misogyny and colorism go hand in hand not saying that like colorism doesn't affect men but in the idea of being lighter skinned is just directly related to like fragility and femininity that like even I see with like light-skinned men like dark-skinned men are more fetishized in their their blackness because they are dark-skinned that's considered masculine and I feel like that ties into why Rosa Parks was used as the woman on the bus is because well, they're going to think, oh, she's, because I remember they told us a story in school because I happen to go to a school with a lot of Black kids. So we learn more about Black history. And they're like, yeah, they wanted someone that they would believe was tired on the bus, you know, and they'll feel, the public will feel pity for her. So she had to be lighter skinned because you're not, they don't, our society doesn't associate darker skinned women with fragility or or, 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 or being soft and feminine. And like, we, we sympathize with them. We don't. And so that kind of, I feel like, is why they use, especially for the women, they use lighter-skinned women to represent the civil rights movement and really any movement or any any chance they get to represent a Black woman as a light-skinned woman, so. Um, and just to, like, touch upon that, so Claudette Colvin was, like, one of the first, because there were actually other women outside of Rosa Parks that would not get up, and Claudette Colvin was also pregnant at the time. She was a pregnant teenager, and she was dark-skinned. Um, she gave an interview recently, really trying to like, and people have asked her, like, how have you felt about knowing that like Rosa Parks is getting all this recognition and like, you're just some like random, random black girl. Um, and, you know, like, like a black woman does, you know, she, she took it in grace, but I was like, mm, I, I would not, I would not respond that way. I would be like, where's my coins? Okay. Where is my recognition? Lol. <laughs> um, but there is also something that I, I think is also particularly very interesting. I used to have a relative who would tell me to like, who would tell me, well, princess, you're pretty enough. Cause like, I have, I have like a small nose when I smile, it's wider. And like this person, it was a man would tell me don't smile too much because when you smile, your nose gets wider. And when you, I should tuck in my lips. I literally was like trained from a young age that I should always tuck in my lips so that like my lips look look smaller. And another thing that I've also realized, something that goes hand in hand is the darker you are, the more sexualized you are. And it starts so early. I went to like um, a relatively decent like uh, middle school growing up and like my like grandfather really wanted me to go to a school around other black people. I think that after this incident, he definitely regretted his decision because, so I'd watched this film called like Aquamarine. It was like a white mermaid, blah, blah, blah. And so like at the time I had like really long, long hair. And so like, we're changing for gym and like, I'm just a kid. Like I'm literally like not even 13. And so I like, remember I like took my hair down 
and I like was like I'm aquamarine and like I was topless but like there was nothing sexual about it like I was just a kid playing you know like in my own skin in my own body and this little like white Latina girl went to and our whole like admin was black she went to like the principal and was like princess was making me feel uncomfortable and if it wasn't for the fact that like my grandfather made up some deal with the school, I would have gotten suspended and it would have gone on my record. Until today, that story is like, it actually kind of me up. Oh, sorry. It like, it's kind of traumatizing because it's crazy to think that like, there is, there, there, it is, there's a whole generation of older, like black folks who really was like, this 13 year old is like, out here, you know, being too fresh, too grown. And I was like, I was a kid. Like, I'm like, I, I think at some point, like you've probably actually if you've seen Aquamarine, you know what I'm talking about. No, yeah, I get you completely on that. Um, I think is Joshua gonna speak because I don't want to interrupt because he's been pretty quiet. Okay. Um, okay, so I was watching a, a video today um at on TikTok by Wokei. I'm African. So it's not going to be like, I don't know how it's going to sound, but I just found about Rosa Park, what we're talking about. I just found most of these names today. I tried to do the research on it today when I watched the video. A girl on TikTok, W-H-O-K-A-E, she did a video where she was transitioning, um, like she was doing this um, women of TikTok, with the black women who stood up um, during the civil rights. And she was always doing this changing transitions, Rosa Parks, and many of these um, great women of that particular time. So I was marveled because the video was, was wonderful as to read about most of these things. But then moving back to here in Africa, um, light skin is summer, like um, who are light skin to see are giving this um, preference of their, like, they're beautiful kind of, they're giving this, you're, oh my God, you're so fair and you're beautiful kind of feeling. And then the dark ones who are so beautiful also get this kind of feeling. But then the group of people who just are too dark, like the girl on TikTok who does this video where she's dark and she just smiles at the camera. And if you go to the comments, they're like, oh my God, finally a dark person gets the dark privilege. Um, dark privilege, that's what they called it. A dark person getting dark privilege. And then there's like this one that'll be like, wow, finally a dark person that um, risen up on this app to show how beautiful she is. So it just boils down to the entire fact that, okay, okay, she's dark, so she can't get this privilege of being dark. You know, even the entire discussion itself, um, just, how do I put it? The entire conversation, that comment section, when you're defending or you're like saying this, it just boils to the fact that it's not really seen as normal for a dark person to be beautiful, beautiful. Either you're light-skinned or you're white. If you're not white, but you're light-skinned and you want to show yourself as beautiful on TikTok, it's like, wow, out of the box. You're just like first person, you start out, you're like this new person who just wants to show you're beautiful. And then you are like trying to be, or they'll be like, you're copying this person. You want to be like this person. Because some of the comments are like, you are like, you're copying another dark girl. But if you go on TikTok generally, you find that there are a lot of people who just do, do this lip syncing videos. Bella Porch, for instance, does these videos where she lip sync and she's beautiful. And the other people who do, do, do these videos where they live sync and they're beautiful. And then when one black person does this video, another person does the same thing, they'll be like, you're copying this other dark person because both of you are dark. One person should just be between the dark 
beautiful people. I feel that that would imply in the comments or something like that. So I think that's it. Yo, that's. I mean, actually, we can talk about TikTok, but I mean, for a second, I also wanted to just uh, to just st- sort of step back into that because you brought up. We, we can go with uh, go off in like you know different areas. Um, let's actually talk a bit more about the intersectionality question uh, between political ideologies. Uh, but we've mentioned obviously how uh, obviously colorism and all these different things they have links with things like misogyny, essentially. And I wanted to just link uh, this in as well because uh, you know it's also very connected quite heavily to the idea of capitalism. And here's what I'll say: It's like you know, yeah, make a profit, sure, whatever, right? Make a profit. But when you're profiting off of these things like bleaching creams, when you explicitly know that they have certain levels of mercury, by the way, so it's not like, oh, guys, you know, these bleaching creams are like totally natural and everything. They're literally harmful. They can like, some could even argue cancerous, right? And you're selling them and peddling them and peddling them, and the governments are doing nothing to stop it. It's like, what's what? What do you guys think about that whole dynamic? Because I think that even in terms of like you know how to sell things, it's like who's being put at the forefront of television and advertisement, all these different things. Even I've actually noticed it, like for some some brands like Nivea sometimes when I was young, I always used to see, it used to be a light-skinned woman, especially with some African content, it's just light-skinned, you know? So, I mean, these things are very subtle, right? And it reminds me of another TikTok trend. Do you guys remember when it was like, you know, that song for Sin? Sin City was made for you, right? That song, right? Excuse my voice. <laughs> but uh, that whole song, and then people used to transition dark skins or like normal people, then they would say light skins. And then it's like a thirst trap and then it transforms into a thirst trap. It's like, can we also just deconstruct how colorist that was? <laughs> it really pushed that narrative of, you know, this idea of being light skinned as being sexually free and like, you know, sexually open. And like, you know, you've, 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 it's, it's really, really odd how that functioned. I mean, it didn't even just, it didn't cross my mind too much later, to be honest. But I also, ooh. oh, sorry. It's just, um, what was I going to say? Actually, now I forgot. Oh, wait. Okay. So really, really quick. The, what you were talking about um, with the soap and the mercury and everything. I actually wanted to talk about that really quick because, so obviously when I got back to America, like I, you know, I had to like, the way it works is you have to keep using it regularly right so when I got back to America and you know I was completely cut off I had to go through that like my skin had to go through that withdrawals and like everything that happened you know like so I noticed certain things obviously like one I would have like patches like on my cheek where like my skin was starting to go back to its normal but obviously there'll be the light skin kind of like patches and then another thing you know kids like to run around in the sun I couldn't because if I would go in the sun it would like it's not even tan it would completely just like it would be so bad like like I, f- I had to be out with you know the other white kids chilling in the shade because they couldn't go out you know either so we were in the same boat and I had to invest in very expensive um sunscreen and it was so bad obviously you know I couldn't really play sports that much and if I did I have to like and you know how sunscreen is right it's not even meant for like people of color because you have that cast like it's just really white and it just didn't look good so it was really really hard and then eventually it took about 
I'd say maybe a few years for my skin to eventually go back. I don't have any more patches or anything like that in my um, cheeks or anything like that. The pigmentation is back, but obviously I suffer for the, like, you know, the, like the after effects because I still like in the sun, I still have to watch out for the sun and I could get like skin cancer and things like that if I stay out in the sun too long, you know? So it's really, really, you know, really bad that they just, without obviously my parents' consent, they just did it. And then now I have to like deal with these, you know, I have to go extra lengths and extra precautions just because of that one event. And then the last, my last note, um, the TikTok um, thing they were talking about, um, you guys, as I mentioned before, like people like to bring up black women for clout. I don't know if you noticed that people I don't like that they'll play that song like people I don't like and then they'll put black women and then they'll be like psych and then they put some black women and you know the token black women and then I'm like not every black woman looks like that first of all and just to put that out there or they would just say psych in general and just like leave it at that and we're just like okay what are we supposed to do with that Mm, no one asked right and it's like I just keep noticing how people like and those are the types of tiktok that blow up because they bring black women up you know and it's just it's really annoying it's getting old um the the skin bleaching thing that Hadaya just brought up um I watched a really good documentary actually I'm oh this is so sad but this is sort of like my bread and butter I really like understanding this um to an extent there's a South Af there's a really really famous South African singer who was in this documentary where they talked about skin bleaching and she literally always would go out with an umbrella like she could not yeah she re, like and can <laughs> and I was just like and I and I genuinely feel so bad but I also think that on a systemic level and if you wrap like capitalism into it as well the fact that bleach creams are so harmful and obviously their products are promoted towards black and other brown folks it really really shows you how much like the world we live in really does not value black life at all because when you think about how much research goes into the products that white women put on their skin to a degree because i know that makeup is harmful to an extent but when you think about for example in europe America, not as much because, you know, free market, free trade, that whole thing. But if you think about in Europe, like if you want to sell any products in the Eurozone, you cannot have certain like things in your in in any of the makeup products. Right. And it's particularly interesting that companies like Nivea, um, like the Unilever company, all the all these places, they respect the restrictions of the European nations largely because they value white life. And they put whatever the hell they want to put in to like these products like mercury and sell it to parts of like Africa, India, like the the list goes on and on because they do not value black and brown life. And that's literally like one of the most terrifying things, especially when you find out that like you can't go in the sun, you're carrying around an umbrella and it like even gets to a point where a lot of these women who become famous off of getting off of the bleach creams and stuff like Bob Risky, the South African artist that I talked to you about, they actually have to go to like dermatologists to like up like the chemical peels and like help them maintain it. So that means that like they start off with the soap and it only gets more intense 
And sunscreen really can't protect you. Like Hadaya said, it, it's not going to do, it's not going to do anything. And it's particularly also frightening how normal it is to use. Like even when, like, so I know a couple of people who are from Nigeria who've come to Canada and are constantly figuring out ways to try and get skin bleaching creams. And it's particularly bizarre how like, you know, obviously now we're here in the diaspora and everyone knows that they do it and no one says a thing like, because you can always tell, you know, from the hands, the knuckles and the knees, mm, no one says a thing, no one says anything. And I'm like, are we just, is, is this what we're doing now? Yo, can I just quickly add something uh, before someone adds on? You know what I find so painful is that, and this is just, I know this is why I tell people, sometimes studying black history or just studying you know, race theory, sometimes it makes you really depressed because the world is a terrible place. Like <laughs> literally point blank period for black people, especially in the past 200 years, you mentioned the company Unilever and you'd not believe it. This company actually was a soap company, right? And it was then merged with another Dutch company. And then they came to Nigeria. And during this whole colonial period, they actually bought up the companies that were taking resources out of the ground, like palm oil. There was certain nuts that they would take, cocoa, all these different things. And what they did is they created something called the United Africa Company. And that essentially became a monopoly, <clears throat> right? In this area of yeah, West Africa, French West Africa, essentially. So what you're doing is essentially, it's a form of neo-colonialism, right? On that systemic level, because now you can, uh, like contemporaneously, you can literally be teaching black people to hate themselves. And then you give them a product that reaffirms that hate. So it's a cycle of, yes, you hate yourself, continue hating yourself, you know, light-skinned women, we're going to put them on our advertisement, etc. And the worst thing is that, Unilever is so big that even the government, if they wanted to come through and start limiting what Unilever is doing, like Unilever is like literally, guys, do you know what Unilever makes? They makes the Dove, Redox, Marmite, all these different things where you see the, the Vaseline. That's literally all of these different products. I'm pretty they sure come I've under. Seen, I'm pretty yeah. sure I've seen their logo on even Pepsi cans. Like they, they, they run everything. And it's one of the things that I like to say about Nigeria is one of the reasons why Nigeria has so much wealth, but there's like, it, it doesn't, there's no trickle, trickle down effect is largely because it is a, like Nigeria is not really a country. It is a corporation. It still functions as a corporation. Like it, it was meant to be that way. Yeah, in terms of if we're looking at it from the perspective of like Unilever, it's like, it's so crazy how they control almost everything right? Literally almost everything. This is what we're talking about. And as, as uh, Princess literally said, Nigeria in this scheme of things, it's not like they can really be, let's be honest, you, you don't do much. It's like you're literally, the corporations just hold over you. And this is what we're, we're having bigger conversations when people talk about, oh no, there's no need for rep reparations. Forget about the past. It's like, how, how can we forget about the past when uh, according to you know these different studies, I think it was another WHO study where they had literally, it was 77% of Nigerian women. I think this was in 2010 though, were actively skin bleaching right? It, it's so, it's so deeply ingrained in culture and the system and everything else. So that's why it's really important to really critically assess that. But yeah, let's hear from Joshua. Um, okay, so um, can you hear me? Okay, so regarding the, um, 
bleaching creams and the rate of usage of bleaching, bleaching creams, most times usually because of beauty standards, as we have clearly heard so far. I feel that it's something that obviously can be addressed because a while ago, the people who bleach were receiving this backlash from people, and it was like, stop using bleaching cream. And there were some memes that the particular bleaching cream that is very famous, it's called Carol White. And then um, there's a meme, most of you must have seen the meme somewhere of like, when a guy sees him, goes to a woman's house and he, saw this, he sees this particular cream, and then there's like this um, savage attached to it. And then later on, they brought about this new set of creams, they call the toning creams. What it does is, instead of bleaching you, what it does is it levels the color of your skin. So if probably a part of your skin is like brown, according to the adverts and all that, part of your skin is like brown, it makes the entire place brown. And then it's still, the entire concept is that if you are dark, you don't end up remaining dark at the end of the entire process. <laughs> that's like, yes, that's the real end of the, end of the, of the stuff. But then it's, um, it goes um, beyond um, that. It, it went beyond that then. And then there is like, <laughs> okay, yeah, Caro, C-A-R-O, then Caro White. Yeah, like bleaching cream. So yeah. Then it went beyond that. For a while, like, I think for a while now, it's not like been a thing until this popular um, Nigerian um, celebrity, um, Bob Risky, said during having the videos of um, bleach, that you can move into your husband's house looking like a black stuff. You have to buy this particular bleaching cream. And most times they are for adverts, kind of. So she's doing these promotions for most of these brands and then making those who are already dark feel bad, kind of. Just like creating these beauty standards. And like, because she's really, I think she bleaches also. So she creates these standards of um, you have to um, bleach to um, fit in. You have to, to be in your, a good husband's house because you have to first be a good husband's house, rather. You need this um, to be fair. You need to be beautiful. And then she, because she has like 5.3 million following on Instagram. So she's like this big sensation. So everybody usually checks her page for this kind of advice. And when she gives this type of advice that you can't fit in the system without using this particular bleaching cream or that particular bleaching cream, then it became like normal again. Women start using it. You see women buying bleaching cream just to be light-skinned and look beautiful and have this smooth texture and all that. And then for the knuckles that, she was about having dark knuckles, they're like, the way they will tell you to mix it, they'll be like, okay, use this turning cream for this, use this bleaching cream for that, so you don't have the dark knuckles, so you can fit in, so you can be light-skinned and pretty and all that. So I think that even the makeup too, because now you see people doing makeup and they're like dark, and then the makeup sets it set up now Expect to use um, some colors like color three, for instance, that is the darkest, I think, for most of the makeup they make. It does not actually go in line with most of the dark skin color of Nigerians, for instance. Because my parents are makeup artists, both of them. So when we make this, and when they sell this makeup like color three, it's like lighter shade, lighter shade from our normal skin color. So some people want to get bleach, to get bleach to actually fit in. And why some? Will come looking for probably color four or lower colors and they would find it. So that's to take this color three and blend their skin or use blending to make it more and make it better rather. Thank you. So the the thing with Bob Risky that I find um to be really particularly interesting is Bob Risky 
I see Bobriski as, you know, with the whole bleaching thing, that's definitely problematic. But I also feel like one of the reasons why Bobriski has gotten away with, I think, kind of being one of the first like LGBTQ icons is the fact that Bobriski lightened their skin. Um, and it it says a lot. It's still like it's interesting how colorism and obviously racism feeds into this whole idea of like the fact that being being queer is it's a white thing and it's not a it's not just a thing that like exists naturally um like in all communities regardless of skin color and I think that because that's also like Bob Risky's like claim to fame like Bob Risky is like been in films where Bob Risky is the character that gets a sex change and comes back and is no longer this woman's husband they are now Bob Risky, like the woman. And it's, and I think that Bob Risky would not be able to get away with doing that if Bob Risky didn't have, like if Bob Risky wasn't light-skinned. And Bob Risky was recently in a, uh, in a documentary called Skin by Beverly uh, Nea, who's like a famous like Nigerian actress who's dark skin. And although that whole thing was a, like kind of a mess, she made some points. Bob Risky talks about how now she's kind of tired of the fact that she has to keep up with the treatments and the products. And she kind of just now is like regretting ish, ish. But she also knows that that's, unfortunately that is still a standard of beauty. Like she's a realist and I get it. And, but at the same time, it's like, oh, cringe. Okay, um, regarding what Chris is just saying about the um, beauty standard of Bobrisky. Okay, so you know he's queer and then he's transgendered. And then in Nigeria, like there are a lot of memes that when they go to attack him, they're like, he's like this dark guy. Mm-hmm. Go of the colorism. No, colorism is the entire concept of this particular discussion. So I'm not going to face that, not LGBT people. So I'll be like, he was dark. And then the pictures like he was dark. And look at him right now. He has to bleach his way to become this. So he can be accepted in the entire community as who he is, kind of. That's what the entire um, imagery, like the memes, end up like saying, like what you, what you just said. And if, if, if you just movies, you find it actually bleached. The best thing bleached. If most of the movies, you find that bleaching is like one thing that remains constant in most of this, um, the storyline of this and stuff. Um, since um, we're moving on to our like next topics, I had um, a question that I was curious like, what do you guys think? Um, so on the topic of reverse racism, uh, I wanna know um, when, whenever um, I see comments under like certain posts, I always see um, a lot of light-skinned women saying that colorism affects them too because of the way dark skins kind of like attack them growing up because of the way they look. And I was curious, what do you guys think? Like, does that qualify as reverse racism? Or like, like, what are you guys' like, input on that? Okay, can I say something? So um, regarding this um, white, because, okay, I've, I'm, I've seen this a, a video a, um, a girl did on, um, on TikTok. She was like, you can't outdo the dual sound. And then she did this. White people can't do box braids, and then black people can do box braids and all that. And me as an African, I know that there are people who, um, white people come here to Nigeria, they take the place box braids because there's, nobody can make your hair here like the way you do it out there. You have to just use box braids, kind of. That's really 
um, busy style that will match your hair as a white person if you are going to stay here. And then white people, the black Americans or the African Americans rather, will be like on TikTok that this is um, how do I put it? Is our culture it should not be um, copied? It's cultural something? These are protective styles. And then I feel this particular thing she said right now is because black people obviously have experienced this racism, racial slurs. They have been victims of this. Um, if you have this particular hairstyle, it's not does not qualify. And when a white person actually does this, it's like so beautiful, it's wonderful on them. And I feel as a person, if somebody wants to come at me for being um, probably dark or something, I most times I most times give this back up, like how do I call it, this protective self, like I'm being rude to you. I end up just giving you that. Um, I feel that what most black people do is so before you get this racist, before you get the chance to be being very racist at them. They give you this, you can't try, you can't do this to me. Yeah, I feel it's like a way of protecting who they are, protecting their culture, kind of. Not that they just want you to not do box braids, but they just want to create this impression that for you to do box braids, you have to accept that it's actually a black culture and all that. So I don't feel there's anything like reverse racism. And I don't think I'll call it gatekeeping per se. It's just this um, system of like, I don't know how to put it, Sha, but like, I'll put it in, okay, let me just, let me just, let me just like, an instance for it. It's just like, okay, um, I, I'm, um, my entire community uses um, bananas, for instance. And then this particular community comes in and laughs at us for our bananas. If I watch the video, I explain this way. I laugh us for our bananas, kind of. And then proceed to take it, using the banana for some other thing, or probably taking our bananas and making it their own. We tend to start being protective about it. I tend to start being, um, yeah, kind of with like cultural appropriation, because that's something I talk about a lot. <laughs> um, I feel like another like what you were saying, when people when white people visit Africa, they get their braids done, no one complains. That's I feel like that's more of trying to understand and be a part of the culture, but in countries like America, and I've noticed that a lot of people who are not African American or live in America have a problem when those people start speaking up about cultural appropriation and the effects of it. And it's just like, <laughs> that's just a whole, that's a whole nother, a whole nother mess, a whole nother layer. But when it comes to reverse colorism, I wanted to talk because I have a personal story. Me and my best friend became best friends because when she moved to my elementary school, she's very light, like very, very, very pale. And some girls were saying that like they basically thought she wasn't black because of it and I said she's obviously black because to me it's like what like she's obviously black and because like I stood up for her and she was a very quiet girl we kind of became friends but even then she still has an understanding of how colorism works and I think that's what light-skinned people seem to get confused when we're talking about it when we're talking about colorism doesn't affect you no one's saying that what you go through doesn't happen. Yeah, in America, they will invalidate you and say that you're not black or you're white passing or find any way to separate you from your people, you know? But that's not the same as a system in place to put lighter skinned people on a pedestal. There's no system in place putting darker skinned people on a pedestal. And I feel like that's the confusion. Like I know Princess, you mentioned um, in the documentary, they were saying that, oh, light skinned girls don't get certain roles, they're not black enough, blah, blah. That is a thing. 
they do say that to light-skinned um, actors, but they won't hire black actors. That's just more psychological damage you're trying to do to us. So now you're telling the light-skinned girls they're not black enough. You're telling the black girls, the darker-skinned girls, they're, they're too black. It's like, who qualifies them? They're all just trying to get into our mind. That's all that, that's just psychological tactics that white supremacy has been doing to the black community. But it's still not colorism. It's, there's no such thing as reverse colorism. And that's where people get confused because they think, oh, you're just talking about the color of your skin and how it affects you. No, we're talking about a system, a ranking, basically, based on your skin tone and, and white being right and light skin being more preferred. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, fact. I think I'm definitely on the same page with you because, as I said, racism and colorism are relatives, very close relatives. And actually, uh, for Timbuk Tuesday, which is a series that I do for my podcast, I briefly discussed the topic of can people, can black people be racist to white people? And I came up with, obviously, with my logic, unfortunately, yeah, it's actually, fortunately, it's like, you know, we don't want to be racist to anyone, <laughs> right? No one likes being in a position of power, for example, to systemically oppress one group of another, right? But it's, it's almost impossible. It's just basically impossible under the current circumstances. I think the same thing applies to colorism because if you think about it, racism is simply just extended colorism. At one spectrum, you have, uh, you know, obviously the color of skin, which is white, right? Which is why white passing people still have in many ways, white passing privilege, right? And on the other side, you have people who are darker skinned, right? And the only exception of the rule of like, you know, uh, darker skinned people, one group of dark skinned people not being considered black is obviously people who come from, I think it's Southern India, for example, right? They've been, even then, like it's kind of, this is why I tell people, it's not, the system is not supposed to make sense. If you're mad with the way the system is and you're like, oh no, but that's unfair. Why can't black people be racist? No, no, you should go and ask the people who made the system because it, it doesn't make sense. It's arbitrary. It's not meant to make sense, right? So if you ask me, it's like you're fighting a really, really big uphill battle if you're trying to say that reverse colorism exists when you can easily look up to actors, even in black, like literally blackish, you can talk about the hate you give, even these black shows, for example. Yeah. Um, I So I also have my own podcast. And on our last episode, I made the point to say that I am, I love rooting for everyone black, but I am so, I'm so sick and tired of these like little mixed Hollywood brown girls being the one leading the charge for all these coming mm -hmm. of age stories. It is, I'm tired. It, it, you don't represent me. I, I'm sorry. It is what it is, plain and simple. But like it's, and even when you look at like couples, like historically, when you see couples on TV, it is, it's light skinned woman, dark skinned man. It is never, same color. I think the only time I've ever seen a couple on TV that was like the same skin tone was watching Maxine and, uh, oh, wait, what was his name on, on Living Single? That was the only time I've ever, I've ever seen a like matching, like brown skin couple and not just like brown, like I'm talking dark skin. And I was like, where did that go? Where did that go? Please bring it back. Yeah, I'm, it's, mm, your girl's tired. Can we talk about how living single was literally supposed to be friends and then friends got, like, it's a, friends is just a gentrified version of it, first of all. <laughs> like, that's a prime example of what's going on in America. Can, like, that.
Yeah, no, so uh, I'll definitely, I'll mention a couple of things. Uh, but yeah, you talked about like, you know, all these different shows. It's like, honestly speaking, it's like, it's just literally, you just pick a, a light-skinned girl who some people might even say is in quotes racially ambiguous, you know, all these different things, you know. Uh, and they're the just sort of pushing to the, pushing them to the fore of the storyline. And I think that for me, it's it's it's, it's even it's, it's quite ridiculous how they they also put that through. And then also, yeah, also it's it's an awkward topic to bring up, but it's definitely I think it's really important because, for example, a lot of young people who are not even supposed to be viewing something like pornography are exposed to pornography. I think this is also where a lot of these beauty standards actually come from, right? And for example, you look at, I think there was this map where they pulled up the different states and like, you know, what kind of pornography that they watch, right? So then there are people that are like literally watching pornography that's like, oh, you know, light skin, this, and then, or like, you know, interracial. And then it, it's re- it really shows where this idea of fetishizing people comes have from. You, have you ever seen, have you ever seen Shameless? There's that episode on Shameless where like, the black girl and the white guy they so like I obviously I'm a firm believer in sex work but they do like slave play and they got so many views and um I don't know if anyone ever gets a chance but if you if we ever like leave lockdown but you all should like either try and read the script called um there's a play called slave play and it just explores how like within interracial relationships depending on like obviously who if the woman is black or if the man is black like how the relationship like functions and it's like oh everything just wait can I throw this in just to I'm so sorry there's just like topics coming out of of places if if, okay guys just so we can sort of get like you know the topics right I want to discuss two things and if you speak just discuss them but we talked about interracial relationships right let's talk about the fetishization of of mixed babies because um, one of my sisters actually was in a classroom and there was this white guy who was like, you know, I really want to marry a black girl so we can have some cute caramel babies, right? But we'll we'll, we'll zoom past that, right? Uh, so let's talk about uh, mixed babies being fetishized. And then also let's talk about preference. Do you think this idea of preference <laughs> according to skin color is real? Let me, let's hear from Ashley. Oh my gosh, I'm I'm about to go off. Okay, so I remember I made this TikTok a, a way while back and people got mad at me because I was talking about how the Asian men, Black women community, I don't know if you guys know that that exists, both parties are fetishizing each other. And it's just a hot mess and I called it out for it because they will literally have like, like there's someone, someone has a YouTube channel called like Jalof and Kimchi and like things like straight up fetishization and people got mad at me for it. And I'm like, you guys have to be honest with yourselves. Why are you guys, why are you guys together? What is, what is, what in this relationship? Like, they're like, oh, it's a cultural exchange. No, like, be honest with yourself when it comes to fetishization. It's not a preference. It's not, there's, in my belief, yeah, you may like someone with, like, green eyes or, or brown hair or whatever, but if you're chasing people only like that and you're avoiding other people like that, it's because of something internalized. And when it comes to the mixed baby thing, I, mm, I'm guilty. When I was younger, because we're all brainwashed when we were kids, I used to like think like, oh my gosh, mixed babies are so cute. You know, I would think, oh, look at their curly hair and their light eyes, because, you know, that's the only people you see on television are people who are light-skinned like Beyonce with like straight hair or loosely coiled hair like Zendaya. So I'm like, oh, well, you know, if I have a kid like that, that's great. But it's like, 
there's there's a reason why we're we're chasing after the idea of like an interracial like the racially ambiguous um like light skin beauty standard of like why white girls tan the exotic it's, it all comes together in my opinion everything comes together with the fetishization of interracial couples the you know the the light skin beauty standard the the tanning the bleaching it's just it's one big mess of oh my gosh pet, we're not even gonna get to pedophilia but I'm gonna get into the fetishization of black women and really black black children in general. Like, I feel like Black children in general just never have a chance to just be kids. And again, I can speak to experience of this. When I was nine years old, I remember it was 4th of July, we were watching the fireworks and I was wearing, you know, those, it was the trend, the skirts that had the, like the elastic and then like it fanned out. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Mm. And my mom told me, she said, put on your skirt, you know, you could get raped. At nine years old, I had to be aware. Yes, I and she was looking out for me. But you know, it's sad that at nine years old, I had to be aware and protect myself because yeah, men would look at me. And I remember growing up by the time I was 11 till now, grown men would approach me in stores, think that I'm grown, try to get my Facebook, try to get my number. I had a little Nokia, I didn't, I didn't have no social media. Black women are never allowed to be kids. And that goes back to you know, colorism, the light skin standard, the fetishization of light skin women and dark skin women in completely different ways. You know, the mixed babies, like, why do you, why do you care how much, how, why do you care so much how your baby looks? Genuine question. Why do you care so much? That's, it's giving pedophilia. I feel like it all just, all these intersectionalities really do like come together. Sorry for rambling. <laughs> oh, that's not even rambling. That's facts. Like a hundred percent. I resonated with that. Like, I think it's funny how we all have feel like we all grew up the same way like everything that you said it just reminded me going back like what you said like we never really have a chance to grow up I remember if there's any guests coming in like I had to like the whole suit up like my mom would tell me you know like she gave me the phone one one because I'm like and I was nine eight years old because um let's say there was my dad was bringing in guests and those men coming in the house then she said you can't wear tights this etc you have to or just stay in your room right don't bring them any like uh tea or things like that because you know and I thought that was really strange but then growing up now I realized that she just protected me and then um I'm sorry what was the topic again we were talking about I have something to say about it we're Um, talking about preference yeah preference. preference that's what I wanted to get into yeah I've been waiting on that for a hot minute um so I didn't really know much about that until again college because I feel like I was really sheltered growing up like in I so I'm like from the Bay Area and it's really like diverse but by diverse there's like barely any white people so I don't really have I didn't really have that you know like straight up like microaggression it was more like I was dealing with the their internalized anti-blackness in their own community so that's what I was dealing with growing up right and I didn't really realize so there would be Arab, South Asian, East Asian, right? And um, not until I went kind of like in the base still, but I went to more of a, like more black people because I wanted to be around my own people and see like what's up with them. And that's where I went to college. And basically I had like a group of friends where I, like I had a group of friends and I was kind of like the darkest. And I kind of sat back and observed like how like guys would, like they came at us, but at a list, it was like the lightest, you know shut them down next 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 type of thing and I'm looking at it like dang like they went out of my they went out of their way to let me know like I was just a homie you know like yeah 
they seen me as more like masculine or something because of my skin color like yeah yeah Hidaya, she's a homie da, da, da. but this light skin guy over here let's talk about it and then we'd have we'd, like we'd honestly have so many discussions because um we had our own little space and would have open discussions like what do you like you know what's your preference and this when i they start like licking the lips and going like yeah i want to like that you know they would go on and off like that right and that's when i'm, I'm over here like observing everything because i'm also out of touch so it's just educational purpose for me like i even didn't even know how to communicate like coming into the school like they would communicate with each other i was so out of touch i didn't even know what they're saying so like um everything was just learning experience for me and then i had people like i would ask questions like why do you feel this way like and they felt the need to bring up dark skin women so much that I'm like, if you like somebody, why think of, like, why are you bringing up a whole nother, like, um, skin color? Or they would dismiss the whole race in, like, period. So it's like, how do you bring, like, how do you go home to your mother who, and then say, this is not who I, you know, like, want in the future? And it's just, you have to realize that's a lot of, like, internalized and, you know, they say slavery is like a long time ago. Forget about it, right? No, how can we forget about it when so many things is so relevant to this day? And so that first semester was like a shock to me. And I had to like really look in the mirror and like, you know, I'm not really, I had to like, I'm like, I'm not like pretty, da da da. No, I had, to, and then, and then COVID hit and everything. And I kind of realized that this is like, it's not really me, it's more them, you know? They need Dr. Umar, so they need somebody, you know, like they need help. So, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> not Dr. Umar. <laughs> mm, no, the homophobia is too much for me. <laughs> Girl, you know um, what I'm just saying. <laughs> um, so I like, oh God, where, where do we even start? Uh, what's so interesting when um, Ashley brought up how Black women don't get childhoods, it kind of reminded me of the fact that I, I think because of my proximity to whiteness, I was kind of afford, afforded like a childhood. But like the minute I hit puberty, it was a wrap. It was a wrap. It was, it was, I beget. <laughs> um, and I, I made a TikTok recently about how, yo, we love to come at aunties, but uncles are actually sexual predators. They are sexual predators. I need to be stopped. Like, I cannot begin to tell you the amount of times. As soon as I think I probably hit like 14, they'd be like, don't call me uncle. Eh? I'm your friend. You can't call me whenever. <laughs> you need somebody to come and pick you up from school. You need money. Call me. <laughs> these, old men that are, these old men that are old enough to be like, not even my dad, not even my dad, my grandfather. And they're like, let me come pick you up from school. Call, ah, mm -mm. I, uncles are sexual predators and need to be stopped because I'm at a point where it's like, why, why is it that I, in my own home, I need to be worried about your, your friend, your guest trying to touch me. Mm -mm. So yeah, uncles really need to be stopped. Aunties, they are gross. And that's another conversation for another day. But uncles, prison. I'm, and I'm a prison abolitionist. I don't believe in it, but they need to be put somewhere. On the topic of preference though. So I have, I have a very, like, I'm, I have a really good close relationship with a lot of my cousins. 
And it's particularly, and they like grew up in Nigeria most of their lives. And I think it's particularly interesting their sort of resignation with the fact that, so I have a girl cousin and I have a guy cousin. One of them is completely, the girl has resigned herself to knowing like she will find love, but the love that she will find will largely be based off of, to an extent, the fact that like he's going to love her besides the fact that she's dark skinned because it's just something that she's known. Like men that she's dated has literally told her, I think that you're, you know, the whole pretty for a dark skin girl thing, right? And so for her, it's very much like it's normalized and it makes me so sad. On the flip side though, with my cousin, uh, with my guy cousin, I was talking to him about like something along this lines and he's dating, he's dating a white girl right now. And at first, you know, because we're related, I try not to give him that sideways glance. But then we were talking and he was like, you know, princess, like your, your mom was like one of the prettiest aunts I had, you know, cause she was, she was light-skinned. I was like, why is that the first thing? Like, why, why was that the first thing? Why, why, why was that the first thing that you decided to pick? And he was like, no, it's just, you know, like that is, that's just, that's just what I like. And I was like, mm, good. I was like, I wanted to tell him straight up that I think he hated himself, but I was just like, you know what? I'm just, I'm having a good day today. I'm not about to get into it. And what I think is even more disgusting about that whole preference thing is when you, when it leads to sex, something I've also noticed is, and I've, I've, I don't want to call myself a victim, but um, I've been with men who have very much been okay and even sometimes like proud of the fact that they have scored literally I, I i quote scored a black girl um and it gets more worse and it it, it gets it gets really it gets really r-rated but yeah it is it is a thing the darker you are there there's an expectation that like you are some like wild freaky thing in bed it it is bad i mm. It, it's bad. I have a theory and I'm going to show you guys a chart and it's worrying because as I've said, and I don't want to keep bringing this topic up, but we've talked, we obviously, these are things you have to consider. 40 million people, 40 million people in the US watch pornography. Let's look, let's look at this chart. Let's look at this chart and let's see who the world is fetishizing, especially in the South. Let's look at this as we can see over here, right? Ebony right? This is the South. This is the, this is the deep South we're talking about. Teen, that's another worrying thing we can worry about later, right? But look at where this ebony thing is possible. So when you're seeing these are the most searched things on, on a site called Pornhub, right? And when you talk about people actually fetishizing Black women, all these different things, that definitely comes into play. And I mean, obviously, we don't really know the stats about if they're actually looking for light-skinned women or not. But obviously, I'm one of those people who you can easily just look from the evidence from the, the music industry, from the film industry, etc. It's pretty obvious to see why, for example, I mean, why not? Uh, if, if you're someone who's pr producing a film that's around pornography and everything, and people have been conditioned to believe that light-skinned women are beautiful, it makes sense, right? So I'd say that this is definitely like something that's worrying. And in terms of preference, I'm just going to shoot that argument down, man. I think you're attracted to whoever you are, you're exposed to. So um, 
like I would say like whoever you're exposed to, right? In a general group of people, right? You you can easily be attracted to those people, right? Uh, and uh, for example, if um, like this is why some people obviously date more within their race compared to uh, different other people because most of the time you actually live together, right? But what I'd say is that if you've been exposed to an outer world, right? And there's people from all kinds of races, right? Why is it that it's only black women or like, I don't date dark skinned women. It's like, why is it only that group of people that doesn't meet your standards? It's like, how are you going to X an entire group and say that your features are inferior? It's like that in and of itself for me is just colorism. I don't believe in this idea of preference, right? You like whoever you like, right? Obviously that's impacted by the media, the way that's what's fed to you, etc. But for you to be like, ah, it's just my preference. It's just underhanded colorism in my opinion. Um, I have a real quick question uh, for the ladies. So um, by going through all of that um, and doing all that like reflection of this is how the world sees me, did it like turn you away from black men like in general? Okay. I can speak on this one because I do call them out a lot. What turned me away from them is, well, yes, the colorism, but also the fact that they do not defend Black women, that they partake in the shaming of Black women. And obviously not all men, but a shocking majority. And even those who won't admit it, because I remember um, my freshman year of college, I roomed with three three white girls. <laughs> they were cool though. And there would be like, there was this group of Black guys that were in my year that would come over a lot. And they had this one conversation that just really just highlighted it to me. They were talking about Jordan Woods and Kylie Jenner. And it was during the whole, you know, cheating nonsense. Mm. And they said, oh yeah, Jordan's bad and all, but like Kylie, Kylie. And they just started fetishizing, talking about all the things they want to do to her. My, my roommate's white. She's right there. I'm black. We're right here. And we're both like, it's disgusting either way. But it's funny how they picked Kylie over Jordan when Kylie went out of her way to get surgery to basically look like Jordan. You know, that that to me is like, okay, if you don't respect your own women, you don't respect your own people. You cannot call yourself, and a lot of, a lot of Black men will do this, they'll call themselves pro-Black. They'll be out there protesting Black Lives Matter while they're bashing Black women, while they're still colorists, you know? And so for me, it's like, I need someone who's aware of the things that are going on in our society. You can't say, oh, I wanna build up the Black community, I'm all about my people and then do that. And black men are the biggest, they're the first ones to do it. Like black women, we have our issues too, but no. When they say they're the weakest link, no offense guys, they are. Yeah, I have to echo that. Um, oh, ooh, I, I call black men the weakest link all the time. I know for a fact there's gonna be a day I get canceled. I'm, I'm actually kind of looking, I'm looking forward to that day. I'm waiting for it. I can't wait for it to happen. Um, but what's, it's so, it's, oh my God, this is such a perplexing topic for me because I've pretty much dated, yeah, I pretty much dated everybody. However, I do, I will be honest and say that I largely do date like white men because of a lot of the areas that I'm in, it's what is around. And it's so interesting to me about how the way black men hate that black women date outside of their race mind you that is that like black men have there's literally a study that says black men actively prefer dating outside of their race so that's that's already a no for me but you know there's still a small part of me that's like i'm holding out for my black king 
it's so and it's like so sad because like when I get together with like my my black girls and like we're having a chat the way they just sighed at me like really like you're you're still waiting like that's y'all waiting <laughs> you're like yeah you'll be waiting forever <laughs> you will be waiting forever and what's so what is so like like messed up about that whole thing too is it's like I is it weird but like and if anyone here dates outside of their race like the women here I kind of always expect like the the angry white man slash the, the, the slave master the inner massa to come out of white men often I do so for me when I date a white guy and he does something problematic I'm like okay thanks cut it bye go you know moving on but when it with black men it is just so it, it it's like so crushing it is so crushing and like black men really don't know how much like Black women love Black men. We literally put our lives on hold on the line. Like that whole ride or die, you know, she's holding me down, like all of that stuff. Like that, that is us. And then y'all turn around and it's... <laughs> Facts, you. I, I think... Oh, oh sorry, sorry, go on, Hedaya. And then I go... I just wanted to like put you know like echo what you guys were saying because I definitely agree and like going back home I knew for a fact in the future I could never be with somebody that's like um fresh off the boat you know yeah aka fob um because like going back home back and forth I see their values and it doesn't in line with mine because my um uncle or cousin honestly he's like my uncle but like too young to be my uncle like my cousin so basically following him around and getting to know the area and like seeing how he thinks he's like a typical like you know guy over there and his nickname for me was american black like he's like how are you from america but you're black i'm not even joking but i'm black that's what he said and like he's like how he's like how are you even black when you're from america everyone who comes back here they're always light skin and I was like, what? Like, what did he say? But like, actually, and so like, literally, I go over there and I tell my mom everything. She says, what? Why are you surprised? I thought you've been known, you know? And like, so I go over there and I see how even my dad acts, you know, like, and how even like women are treated over there. And so like, I just, I, I know like maybe like some guys over here, they like grow up here, but then they're still the household. Like, you know, they're like, pampered a lot of the times and like they're just not expected to do anything you know like if he eats himself wow mashallah he actually cooked for himself you know like that is insane you know <laughs> meanwhile you know the counterpart Somali women have been doing excellent things well especially if they're the first born in the family they're a kid raising kids or going to school and having a job things like that etc etc like they're out here doing big things and like I just uh, I just can't like I don't really know what's gonna happen in the future and things like that but I just can't see myself kind of like degrading myself and you know going down first because they'll call they'll call us I see on TikTok all the time they'll say like BLM Halimos like they'll be like people you know like that superiority it just comes out so much because people who support Black Lives Matter or just like you know consider themselves black in general like they don't even some of them don't even consider them black like let's take it there they're not ready for that like you're black look in the mirror you know and a lot of them want to be considered arabs it's like 
it's just so much like to unpack so I definitely in the future like I just can't see myself someone like who aligns with that type of like colorism and you know and obviously you know same with princess and like keep you know I'm trying to hold it down everything and I'm waiting but I feel like I'm definitely gonna be disappointed a lot in the future so don't hold your breath too long oh oh, no see I'm I'm a Sagittarius I ain't waiting for nobody so (laughs) all right guys thank you so so much unfortunately we do have to close off the podcast this panel has been amazing we've had people who have obviously Canada US Nigeria UK we've had a really diverse panel and I'm really glad that you guys were able to come out and I was able to hear your views thank you to whoever came to listen and I hope that you guys have a wonderful day and that you're ready for the next discussions that we have in line. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day and see you guys.